Hello and welcome to our Pride season series of podcasts. My name is Sasha Radoya and I'm Head of Communications and External Relations at Smith. I'm delighted to be joined today by Raymond Yu for this episode, uh, where we will be talking about LGBT plus inclusion, classical music, composition and much more. To get us going, Ray, why don't you tell us more about yourself? Thanks for having me. Uh, so I'm Raid, and I was born in Hong Kong and I spent the first 17 years of my life there. Um, and I basically spent most of my life studying science subjects. So when I did my undergrad in Imperial College, I studied electrical and electronic engineering, which have nothing to do with music. But my relationship with music started when I was four years old. Um, my dad asked me if I want to either play the piano or learn to do ballet. So I chose the piano. And then I spent the next 10 years learning piano and not really liking it because I think it was almost like a regime that my father makes sure that I practice all the time. And that really took out the, the joy of music making. So by the age of 12 or 13, I told him that I didn't want to do it. So I kind of just kind of stopped my relationship with music for the time being. Um, and then I came to the UK to a boarding school to do my A-levels before I go to university. So it was at the time that when I was in the boarding school in Canterbury that I rediscovered music. Um, the school had a really, really good music department and I joined the choir and then I find myself uh, piano teachers to kind of restart my piano training and also I was discovered by the head of department that um, he heard me doing on the piano in the room next to his office and he came in and asked me if I can play jazz which I have no idea what he meant so um, he invites me to the jazz band rehearsal which I sat there and not knowing what to do and he put the music in front of me which I at the time wasn't very good sign reader so I didn't quite know what to do and I told him that can I just not look at music and play from hearing it which I did and that was that moment that I discovered that I can actually play from by listening and which is part of the the the, the kind of basic tra training for me to develop as a composer because I realized I can make things up and I can learn how to write them down on paper so as I was studying engineering in Imperial College, I was training myself to listen to more music, looking at different scores and learn how to write for different kinds of instruments. So that's how my career started as a composer. Thank you, Ray. That's really fascinating. Uh, classical music is still perceived as being rather elitist and primarily the domain of white middle class men, both in terms of those who produce it and consume it. Has that been your experience? Do you think this label is still accurate? Funny enough, as a gay Asian composer of contemporary classical music, it was that issue that didn't really kind of cross my mind for some time until about five to 10 years ago when people start talking about the idea, the, the, the issues of diversity. And then I kind of realized that what is going on around me I suppose it's to do with that me coming from the background in Hong Kong, listening to classical music. We didn't actually fall about the idea because Western classical music is just something that we 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 embrace and we don't think about you know, the, the the white men idea that you know all the composer who are writing music were mostly white men, dead mostly. Um, and then and then as I get older and then I kind of have more contact with 
classical musicians and something I kind of noticed, but I didn't really cross my mind. But it was it's kind of quite weird as gradually I realized that when I looked around, there wasn't that many kind of Asian composers. And there are certainly some gay composers, but we don't really kind of talk about it that much. So I, I think that the, being gay in classical music is not so much a problem as much as being an Asian, I think. The sense of being the minority there. But I think I think there's a big difference that if you're being gay, it's not something that visible, but being Asian that you can actually, people can actually see us from judging us by looking at my face. So I think that there was kind of quite a big difference there. I think the label of elitist of, about, of classical music that is belonging to the white middle-aged white man is slowly changing these days. I think that people are much more conscious of that issues and organizations and uh, orchestras and other people are, have tried very hard to change the landscape to encourage, encourage more composers from different backgrounds. And, and regardless of your sexualities to kind of uh, get the work out there to, to show off your work. But I think one of, one, one of the big problem is that when we look at the whole classical music is, is the whole ecosystem that you have the organization, you have orchestra and you have all the artists in, in the, the lower level. So the question is that how, just, just focusing on composing, um, if the orchestra was looking for composers to commission work. So where did they find this composer? And then the, the usual, or at least in the past, the usual path is to go to ask publishers. So the question is, that the publishers, what composers do they sign? And if we look at most of the uh, big publishers, music publishers, um, most of the composers they signed on were or are uh, mainly kind of white men and then there were increasing number of, of women but Asians or black composers are still lagging on the catalog so what the problem is that when the orchestra approached the publishers they will put forward the composers and then all their composers have not been signed to the publisher will possibly miss out that first layer of selection process so therefore that we kind of miss out on the kind of opportunities. So he's up, up a whole kind of almost like a supply chain where the composer is being popped up, being on the radar of people who commissions and promote music. I think that that is kind of quite complex issues there. I think one of the things that when people talking about uh, composers, one thing that you just kind of escape is about labeling, you know, what kind of composer, where the composer writes kind of very contemporary, very experimental. But at the same time, you're talking about composer who are black composer. And then I think that one thing that a lot of female colleagues of mine absolutely hate is that to be called a female composers because they, they, they don't want to be identified as a female composer. They just want to be identified as a good composer who happened to be female. So, I mean, I would definitely hate to be labeled the Asian or the Chinese composer because this is not how I want to wear it on, on my sleeve. And, and, and I don't want people to kind of expect if he's a Chinese composer, he should be writing that kind of Oriental style or sound of music, you know, um, which I knew that happened a lot in film music. I spoke to a lot of 
colleagues of mine who works in the film industry, they were saying that, oh, we want some Indian music, we approach an Indian composer, we would expect Indian style music. Um, so it's definitely not a label that we like that much. And I, we just want to be, you know, a, a good composer who just happened to be, in my case, Asian and gay. You have touched upon here on the idea of intersectionality. Um, so let's try and explore that a little bit. It's the idea that we all have multiple aspects of who we are. And it's important from an inclusion perspective that we don't lead single issue lives. Um, so I just wonder if you could share with us your thoughts on this a little bit further. So I think a lot of time that when, when I'm talking to other people about being gay or being in the LGBT community is to kind of encourage them to, to think about, you know, you don't just look at the people. And sometimes when you look at the person, you just don't know what sort of sexuality they are. And then even worse, you don't actually know what their background is. You don't know what they have been going through. You don't know what sort of, kind of upbringing they have. You don't know what experience they have. And you just cannot make any assumptions because those experiences will actually make that person who they are. And then to, to make an allies, to understand these people, to, to be friends with them, you need to kind of hear the backstory. You try to put yourself in their shoes to think about, you know, where did they come from? Why would they turn out to be who they are? How do they, why do they do certain things in the way they do? Um, in order to understand the, 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 that, that person truly. So in a way that I think, I think to kind of help is, is the most basic thing is actually really listen and ask the right questions or just let them talk so that you can, you can really map the experience because we all grow up in very, very different environments and have very different experience. Um, you know, when I talk about my biggest experience as an adult, a, a big part of this is to do with the suicide of my best friend about 14, 15 years ago that have such a big impact on me. So, you know, people, when they meet me, they don't know that because when people meet me, I'm always very cheery. So unless they really ask, when they really kind of sit down and listen, I will not tell them and they wouldn't find out that big part of my life. And I think that that is quite important that if you talk to young LGBT people, you have no idea how the family have been coping with their issues or if they know that at all. Thank you for sharing this, this important experience with us, Ray. I just wonder um, if you can just tell us how has your background and what you have gone through your experience informed your uh, mentorship role that you have with Just Like Us? Because it seems to me that that really is probably very relevant to how you are mentoring young people within that organization. I think Just Like Us was an amazing opportunity, not just for the young people I interact with, but also at the same time for me to learn about their experience because most of the mentee I have, all the mentee I have so far are not male. So I, it's interesting for me to understand the life of, say, a lesbian or a currently my, man, my, my current mentee is non-binary 
so which I don't really know much about. So I've, I'm actually learning so much from them by, by the, hearing the story about their, their upbringing and about how they see the world, which is very different and how they see themselves in the, the, their own place in the world, which is completely new to me. But at the same time, that I think that it will be useful for, for me and for them to kind of, for this kind of mutual learning experience to kind of enhance our, our kind of relationship and then kind of hopefully bring those ideas to more people to help them out. Because in a way that we, we only know, know our own world and people that we know but you know, as, as we get meeting more and more people, we learn more about how the world actually functions. It's, it usually ends up in a very different way from the way we live anyway. But I think there's a lot of experience that I have as a, as, as a gay composer. I think one of the big things I had through the years is when I was younger, I did really ask myself, where are the gay composers? Because I didn't really think there was any role model as such. And then as I was doing more research, I discovered there were actually quite a lot of composers who were actually have kind of homosexual relationships or even gay. Um, and then kind of just made me think that, you know, how do they express that kind of idea, their, 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 their identity in the music? You know, go back all the way to Handel, to Tchaikovsky, and, and more recently, Britain and the American Sammy Baba, who wrote the really famous Adagio for strings. Um, and then his lover Menotti, who was also a composer. And even in, 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 in jazz, which I love, and you have um, Billy Strayhorn, who is the right, man, uh, right hand man of um, Duke Ellington, who was black, short, and gay. So his experience is very, very different and very harsh um, in, in, in the environment in the 50s and 60s. So that was. It, it was eye-opening for me to to really kind of read about those story to actually make the efforts to find out more about how they cope and how do they express their their life into the music you know for example one one thing that i find it was like a like a special moment in my life is the first time when i listened to or actually saw um benjamin Britten's billy Budd which is a, a very homoerotic kind of bass opera. And then, and just realize that, you know, actually there's some kind of gay love story in opera, which I never knew because all the love story I saw in opera is all about men and women, as if that people like me just didn't really exist. So actually watching Billy Budd was an eye opener. You kind of see, ah, there are actually people actually just like us being expressed, being being represented in in the, the my field of work. So that was that was a special moment for me. And then I think from that moment onwards, I realized that through my work, I try to write music that really is personal. Because I think being a composer, you're being creative. And if you want to be creative, you can't just copy people's work. You really have to make it unique. The only thing that makes your work unique is your experience. So before we wrap up, I just want to ask you a final question. Um, we talk a lot about allyship at Trevor Smith. Um, so what one thing or one action would you ask our listeners to do to help become a better ally of the LGBT plus community? I think I would buy, I would answer that question 
by making a metaphor is that when I, every time when I write a piece of music or even writing an essay, I will approach the essay from the point of view of the reader, of the listener, so that you, you get a better understanding. You, whoever is receiving the information will find it useful. I think allyship is exactly the same, that whoever you're dealing with, who are, whoever you're making an ally with, you need to get into the head to understand what they need and how they how the how the world worked so therefore that you kind of get a better understanding of their surrounding and 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 their desire their anxiety and the way they think and their inspiration their goals so that you can do the right things to help them to to make that strong bond between you otherwise you otherwise you you will never really get to the heart of it on that note, we'll end there. Thank you very much, Ray, for taking part in this podcast and for sharing your experience with us. And I hope all of you enjoyed listening.